Bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Um, well, thank you guys again for giving us that information. Um, I'll share it with you guys if you want to. I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening in our hearts and in this room. Um, what's happening in my heart tonight is I'm super excited because February is one of my favorite months of the year. Um, one, because my birthday is at the end of the month. Two, because it's Valentine's Day and I get to make out with my wife and she has to pretend she likes it. Three, it's Black History Month, which I love. Um, you may not know this about me, but um, in my extended family, there was uh, several interracial marriages and I got to watch that up close and personal and firsthand. And that led ultimately as part of the Lord's calling on our life that we adopted across racial lines. And today is my son's gotcha day, the day that he came home seven years ago. I have a picture of Christopher Michael Brooks Jr. This is him this morning. Seven years is gotcha day. He wanted seven pancakes that uh, his mom made him. And so uh, I love that boy with all my heart. Um, and uh, what a reflection of God's goodness and God's timing. Um, Audrey, like if, yeah, two years waiting for him, five misplaced adoptions that didn't go through, thousands upon thousands of dollars and just never thinking he was going to come home. And just a reminder that God is faithful and he's true and his plan is always better than yours, even in the midst of suffering and waiting and being disappointed. Um, I was also reminded, uh, Jason Cook uh, is one of our preachers that comes here often. And uh, we were mentored by the same African-American preaching professor, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. at Beeson Divinity School. And a couple, uh, I don't know, it wasn't the last time he spoke, but it was before that, um, I was out of town. And so I was watching it on my computer while I was at home. And uh, I got done watching it, took my headphones off and I'm just crying. And Audrey says, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. She's like, did Jason do a good job? I said, yeah, he is just a strong black preacher. And that's something I'll never be able to be. <laughs> And my wife, who knows I'm sensitive and I struggle with envy and I have a fragile ego at times, was incredible. She says, you're right. You will never be that, but you can raise a son who is. And so I look forward to Christopher Michael Brooks Jr. finding his place uh, in God's story and his story and celebrating him every month of the year for the difference that hopefully he'll make as God puts a calling on his life. So we're in big story. Uh, if you guys remember from last week, we're taking a look at breaking it down like this. We've got beauty, brokenness, baptism, and blessing. It's the story of God. We kind of use those because they'll help us remember that this is creation, this is the fall or separation, this is Jesus Christ coming to make a way through redemption, and then this is reconciliation and consummation, us being able to live with God and with others the way that he always intended for us. And then we give you a tool called Three Circles. Um, you can Google it, find it online. We're just looking for simple, reproducible ways to be able to articulate the story of the Bible. Um, and one thing that's fun is a lot of times you can just start out when you're in a conversation talking about brokenness. 
A lot of times this is a common denominator. I can remember um, I was out at a cheap Mexican restaurant having a conversation um, with a lady who worked in our church. Her son was agnostic. And she's like, Chris, would you have lunch with him? I'm like, absolutely. I'd love to hear what's going on. And so we talked, exchanged pleasantries and all this. And I'm like, well, tell me about your worldview. So we start talking back and forth. And I said, can you help me out? What do you do with the problem of evil? And he said, well, I don't know if I would call it evil. I said, okay, what do you do with the brokenness that we see all around us in this world? We can all agree upon that. And he goes, he kind of danced a little bit and said, well, I don't really want to say it's brokenness because that would be to submit to an absolute objective truth, which I don't think you can know. And I probably miscalculated here. And I said, okay, what would you tell my wife about the man who broke into her grandmother's house and murdered her grandmother and her aunt? What would you call that? And dinner kind of went downhill from there. I got I don't recommend things like that. Like, like that's evil, okay? It exists. If you're a human, you know taking another human's life is wrong. It's brokenness. It's all around us. And so a lot of times we find ourselves in the state of brokenness or the fall, and we realize in our own brokenness, we try to get out of it. Whether that's through power, whether that's through money, whether that's through education, um, whether that's trying to be popular or pretty or powerful, right? For those of you who've been with us before, we did a series um, called Fault Lines, and we realized appetite, ambition, and approval is usually all the areas that our brokenness comes through sometimes, and we try to rescue our own selves and ignore the brokenness around us or just simply medicate it, just numb it because it's too much to deal with. And the reason that we know this is actually broken or that something is off in our world is because you were created for beauty. And the Bible says that God created you for blessing, for intimacy, and for purpose. So last week we talked about the fact that you were blessed to be a blessing. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And you were created to be in union and communion with God and with each other. This is part of the image of God, the Imago Dei that was put in each and every one of us as image bearers of God. But what happened, as we see tonight, is we decided to run away. And God said, this is the way for obedience and trust and intimacy and blessing to flourish. And Eve and Adam said, nope, we'll go the way that you said not to go. And that's when sin enters the world and brokenness comes in. But thanks be to God, if we humble ourselves and we pray and repent and believe, then we know that redemption is possible through Jesus Christ, who came into the earth like a man, the second Adam, who was tempted in every way but remained sinless, and then became a sacrifice for us, the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth to restore and reestablish our communion and union with God which now lets us get back to who we were created to be. Restoration and reconciliation. So that's the three circles. Fun little thing that you guys can do in trying to visually explain the story of Scripture. Well, tonight we get dropped into brokenness. Again, great place to, to talk about. This is the fall. This is the great divorce. The spiritual is ripped from the physical. This is the part where John Calvin says, your imago day was disfigured. It was beaten to a pulp by sin. Instead of reflecting the image of God, we now refract it through our brokenness. And I want you to catch 
what Satan does here, the serpent. He just whispers. And he is going to sell the same scam that he's been selling since the foundations of the earth. He sold it to Adam and Eve, and he's trying to sell it to you. He does not have any new tricks. He masquerades as an angel of light. He is not creative. All he can do is take the goodness that God created and try to distort it, kill it, and make sure you're as miserable as possible. So you are created for blessing, for intimacy, for purpose, and power. And all along the way, creation says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then you show up, and it's called very good. And Jesus gives us God-given desires, longings, and appetites to be satisfied through him. Appetites for food, appetites for intimacy, appetites for companionship. And Satan comes up and whispers in her ear, did God really say this? Hey, side note, if you're walking through temptation, this will be the first phase of it. Did God really say this? Which is one of the reasons why Satan wants to keep you out of God's word. So that you don't know what he said. So that when he's contradicting you, you're like, well, I don't really know if that's in the Bible. Oh, ignorance is bliss. Let's go. Let's figure it out. I think sometimes we were talking before, pay attention to those inner voices. Some sound like the strong, convincing, compassionate word of God that's leading you into decision making. And sometimes it sounds like a whisper making you question that voice in the first place. And so if you want to be constantly understanding what God sounds like, you need to be in God's word. So he's getting her to question it. Hey, did he really say this? And she's like, oh, yeah, he said this, this, and this. Um, We've gotten, and in her definition, she's actually trying to reassert the fact um, of God's goodness. Every tree in the garden has been given to us for good and for eating, and it was pleasurable, and it was pleasant to the eyes. But this one right here, the tree of knowledge and good and evil, God said, no, that's not for us. Because if we take and eat from it, we'll surely die. Really? Come on. The consequences can't be that bad. He didn't really say that. And if he did say that, then he's obviously keeping something from you that's good. You're never really going to live unless you experience this. There's 1,000 options in your buffet totally organic and plant-based for you to enjoy. But this one, oh my gosh, he's holding it back from you. This is where true joy and satisfaction, you'll never experience life as it was meant to be lived unless you do this. Same old scam he's been running. God's keeping something from you. Hey, if you follow him, you're gonna be alone and you're gonna miss out. So just don't worry about what he said. Because surely you won't die. And after all, Adam and Eve, you're two consenting adults. You can decide for yourself what your morality is. And so the next thing that happens comes in flashes in Scripture. Look, ponder, reach, pluck, bite, taste, share, knowledge, shame, fear, footsteps. Approaching. Hide. It's the fall. It's brokenness. It's God's beautiful creation corrupted by those of us who have decided, you know what? I'll live my own way. And in the garden story, I want you to make sure that you hear this because a lot of times it's easy for a lot of people from outside of their faith to 
picture God as this egomaniacal, egotistical creator who set us up for failure. The story of Genesis tells us something different. We weren't set up to be messed up. We messed up what God set up. We weren't set up to be messed up. We messed up what God set up. Even more interesting, there's um, two like old school German theologians who are Mac daddies in Old Testament. I got their commentaries on my bookshelf and I only open them up when I feel really stupid. It's like Kelch and Dietrich, okay? Farfignugan, right? Um, they wrote this in this passage. They said, first of all, it's not as if Adam and Eve didn't have a knowledge of good and evil. They knew explicitly what good was. They were experiencing it, that God was good and he was providing. And perhaps through obedience, he would teach them what evil was. But they chose to learn what evil was through disobedience. And isn't that the temptation for you and I? To wait patiently, trust the Lord's timing, trust his pathways, and for us to be able to flourish even when it means waiting and anxiety and thinking that we might be missing out. So uh, my buddy, Dave Rhodes, who I did life and ministry with, um, that was his bottom line statement when he preached this text. Um, and when I first heard it, I'm like, it's way too wordy. No one will ever remember it. And like 10 years later, I still remember it. Uh, you weren't set up to be messed up. You messed up what God set up. This next part is his as well. So let me get a piece of puxy gas. Okay, see that? Nothing up my sleeve. Shoe polish. All right? So Adam and Eve... According to their perspective, what they're doing in this text is they're just trying to live. He's whispered in their ear, hey, God's keeping something from you. If you know good and evil, you'll be more like God and maybe more appealing to him as company. Because right now you're just these little kids who are trying to figure out life and you're probably boring. And maybe one day he's going to get sick of you and discard you. I don't know what's going on in their minds. All I know is they know a God who wants to bring life and wants to give them goodness and passion and purpose. And they've only known God as good. And now somebody's whispering, oh, you can live a different way. And so they step forward to live only to discover that it's evil. That once they get on the other side of it, only then do they discover I've been lied to. What I thought was gonna bring me life has brought me death. What I thought was gonna bring me satisfaction has brought me an appetite and a yearning for more. I feel empty than when I first started it in the first place. And many of us, we're just trying to live, aren't we? We're doing the best we can. We know we were created for blessing, for intimacy and purpose, yet it's not coming quick enough. And the obedience pathway, we're not sure if God really sees us or is gonna take care of us. And so we think we're just choosing to live. Only when we get to the other side do we realize that it's evil. And by then, it's almost too late. But thanks be to God, it's never too late as long as Jesus is around. If you'll notice in that text what happens next, after God's creation is soiled, you'll discover, I think, that if we were created for intimacy and purpose... Now sin floods in, and those two things are flooded. Intimacy is flooded with shame, and purpose is penetrated by fear. I would submit to you that all of your sin reduces to two factors, fear and shame. I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I deserve or be happy, so I'm going to take this 
oops, now I feel ashamed about it. So I run and I hide and I live a life of lies until ultimately I try to be an enlightened individual and throw off all God's rules, regulations, and narratives altogether and proclaim that I am truly free and I've never been more enslaved to my own desires than now. So you watch what happens. Fear and shame come flooding in. And Adam and Eve's first response is to run and to hide. And then God is so angry, he throws down lightning bolts, breathes fire, and says, the hell with all of you guys. I'm starting over. Turn or burn, right? Is that what happens in the text? No, okay? If you have a translation that says that, it's wrong. He showed up for his evening walk with his kids and they weren't there. They stood him up. And so he goes walking and says, where are you? The voice of a loving, protective father coming to hang out with his children and for the first time in their life because of the knowledge of good and evil and the brokenness that has corrupted them, they feel fear and shame. And so God grabs them by the scruff of the neck and he shoves their nose in their mess and he says, bad kids, bad kids, bad. You're so disgusted, I can't even look at you. Go to your room and think about what you've done. Is that what he does? No, because for far too many of us in this room, you have faulty parental versions of God that are not true to scripture. Where are you? We're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? And then the blame and the shame and the failure to take responsibility begin. And there's consequences. And they're not good. But what's really interesting, even at the end, as they're enduring the consequences of their decision, embedded in that is the redemption. They've got fig leaves on. They're hiding in the trees. And sometimes I wonder if that's not where we've set up church. And all of our leadership and all of our acumen and all of our talent and skill is just to give you some fig leaves so you don't ever secretly see my fear or my shame, that I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, and I don't belong here. Rather than us just going, we're all sinners in need of the grace of God. Just because your fig leaf came from a different tree doesn't mean I don't know what the shame feels like. Doesn't mean I don't know what the fear feels like. One of the other secrets I think that the enemy wants to whisper to you is no one will ever understand. Don't tell them who you really are. Now that you decided to live and found out it was evil, hide. But I think Ali Ali Oxen Free, we can come in. Even in the midst of our sin, our shame, and our fear, God pursues us. We say it this way in our family. There's only two rules. You cannot run and you cannot hide. And if you do, I'm coming after you. That's covenant love that promises I'll never leave you or forsake you. And if you run and you hide, there will be a confrontation. And God confronts his kids. He outlines for them what's going to happen, how brokenness is going to spread throughout creation and the world. 
and ultimately how he's going to redeem it. And then there's just this one beautiful one-sentence moment before they leave the garden. Eden, delight. It says he puts on animal skins for them to cover up their nakedness. How did he do that? He would have had to kill an animal. There must have been the shedding of blood to cover them up. Could it be that he's just a good storyteller and he was foreshadowing the blood and the death of his son so that we could become clothed in the righteousness of God all because of Jesus? That we don't have to live in fear or shame anymore but that we can now because of the blood of Jesus Christ have blessing, intimacy, and purpose as we forsake our evil ways and trust in God about how to truly live. Amen? Let's take 120 seconds. One of the things we want to do in here is preach the Bible clearly and then give you some soul space to respond. So just get in a place where you're comfortable and distraction-free. If that's closing your eyes, great. If that's taking notes, great. But what's the one thing the Lord wanted you to hear tonight? What's the one thing that caught, that you went, hmm, that was for me? If you got that, please keep going. If you don't, I'd just give you a couple questions maybe to process as a listening prayer. First question I would ask you is, is there anything you're running and hiding from right now? Is there something you decided that you thought, this is how I want to live, this is good, this is life, only to get on the other side of it and realize it's death, it's evil, and it was against God's good intentions? Are you running from that? Are you hiding from that? So maybe just answer God's question that he gave Adam and Eve in the garden as if he was giving it to you. Where are you? Just so we're clear, he already knows the answer to that question. Why do you think he asks it? Because he wants the same thing from Adam and Eve that he did before the fall and after the fall, their trust. Will you trust me with where you're at? No matter how messed up or how far gone you've gotten, will you come out of hiding and trust me? Because trust has to exist in order for intimacy to take place. Maybe the second question you and the Lord can dialogue about is this. What's your greatest source of fear or shame these days? What's your greatest source of fear or shame these days? And then maybe in your mind, in the cool of the day, let your father take you by the hand, go on a walk with him, and tell him all about it. And ask him for the gift of trust and faith in the midst of it. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening.